Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And with that, let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We're going to discuss something that is, it, on the surface, you may be thinking, okay, this is another one of those how to invest your money topics. But what I can promise you is you are going to see a new point of view. In my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, I share the formula for how you can give a testimonial or review to literally anything. And one of the fact, one of the persuasion points within that formula is to say, go listen to what they say, and you may find yourself hearing a different point of view. That's my promise to you today. You're going to hear a different point of view. And this has to do with some advice on budgeting, on making retirement the focal point of your financial plan, and gifting to your children. Three common things that business creators run across when those revenues and profits really start to roll in and they begin to create the future for their generations. Now, to guide us in our journey, we have Catherine Leola, who if I'm mispronouncing her name is about to correct me. (laughs) And let me just tell you a little bit about her. Catherine is the founder and CEO of Concentric Private Wealth, where she and her team stick firmly to the belief that financial management isn't just about markets and algorithms. It's about people, their values, their goals, their life, which sounds a lot like somebody else we interviewed a few weeks ago, if our listeners may recall. Catherine started a movement to change the way others think about money, mindset, and health, providing the tools they need to live a more transformational life. Through her own life experience and professional expertise, she is taking the lead and experiencing the power of investing in you. So, Catherine, did I get it right? You were close. Catherine Lyola. Lyola. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, I was so excited to dive into our interview here. I neglected to do the usual check on that exact point in the green room. See, we're all, all hu- we're all human here. We uh, sometimes just sort of dive in, even though I counsel people on this. The point being for our listeners is you're allowed to make your own mistakes. So there we go. Now, for you, Catherine Lyola, I know there are some people who are currently leaning in. They have a separate browser tab open, and they're binging the, Google, they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles looking for you. Your last name is being, being spelled L-I-O-L-A. That part I got right. You're welcome. And the website, concentricpw.com. But what we'd like to do before we get into some of these topics about budgets and retirement and throwing money at the kids and all that, is tell us a little bit about your journey uh, beyond the official bio here and what it is that's led you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Well, for me, Adam, my story really goes back to when I was a kid. I was the oldest of five kids. And I was part of a family where we were a single income household. 
my mom actually went back to law school when my youngest sister was only six months old and she had just turned 38. And as a family, my parents very much exposed us to a ton of opportunities. But the reality was that my family did not really have many financial resources. Money was tight a lot. And that was something that I was aware of and is very much part of what has shaped me to who I am today. Now, as an entrepreneur, as much as my parents believed in us and gave us so many opportunities, I actually didn't know that at the core of who I am is a creative, especially in terms of creating business and transformation for people. That came to me after I had been in business for about a decade and started realizing that there was just so many different needs that I kept seeing. And I also saw the solutions. And that was when I began owning my place as an entrepreneur, as a creative, to be able to be essentially that person who can really solve complex puzzles. Yeah. And, you know, that that sounds great. And we're going to be dealing with some puzzles here as we go through some of our points here that we're going to be discussing and how the pieces may not appear to some as they've been told they would appear. So let's start. We're going to focus on a few different areas here in the time that we have. Uh, we'll start with ourselves, and we're going to go to this budgeting topic, retirement, and tossing money down to the kids and things like that. And I know that just from our initial conversation, you have some pretty interesting takes on these that I think our listeners may appreciate and find themselves seeing as a new point of view. So first of all, let's look at ourselves. And why is it vital to constantly invest in yourself? And first of all, define what you mean by invest in yourself. Sure. So Adam, for many of us, when we stopped our formal schooling, whether it was high school, college, an advanced degree, whatever it was, for most of us, the community around us at that point assumed we were adults. Now, for the majority of us, unless someone was getting advanced degrees in their 30s, for the majority of us, our brains were still being formed. The frontal lobe part of our brain, which controls decision-making, is not actually fully formed until we're 25 years old. But for most people, when they're done their formal education, their brains are not done developing. And at that very same time, we're put into positions where all of a sudden we no longer have as many leaders in our world. When we're in school, we may not necessarily have leaders that are completely pulling us in the direction aligned with who we are. But we often do have, yeah, I mean, there's so many stories that we can get into with that, Yeah, but we do at least have access to a mix of teachers, potentially coaches, other types of leaders, whether it be in the form of arts or nutrition, our parents. Now, of course, there can be a lot of mixed messages, but there are people who are giving us information and who are helping us grow in many ways. When we graduate, again, whether it's high school, college, or an advanced degree, we typically all of a sudden have this assumption that we're adults, that we're supposed to know what we're doing, and we're also going into a job path. It's really, really difficult, especially as habitual beings. We are habitual by nature to get off that track that we start. And so the reason that investing in ourselves is so important is because we are still developing, whether it's our brain development or whether just as we as persons, we can only develop when we are feeding ourselves. 
And if we're not feeding ourselves, then we start making decisions based on things that the world around us is telling us is important, but that actually may not be what's important to us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have memories from my growth process of these supposed leaders and what have you, that my initial encounter with them, the very first time they approached me and actually tried to engage with me, became topics of hypnotherapy sessions as an adult. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think there are a lot of folks out there who actually are in that situation and they've listened to other advice such as, well, you just got to grow out of that. You got to let that go. And that was then and this is now. Uh, long, you know, those types of interactions can have big impacts on us as adults. Their inherited trauma is also a real thing. And I discovered through using the power of my mind for self-healing that there are connections that we often don't see uh, without getting into too many details because I don't want people to think I'm too wacky. You know what I mean? Uh, I, growing up and even as an adult, about once a year, I would receive a visit from the ghost or apparition of a very famous dead person who was a leader of a country in the 20th century. I won't say which country and which leader it was, uh, but they would show up and they would lean over and look me in the eyes with this, this resigned expression and say, tell them I tried to stop it. And without getting, again, without getting into detail who it was and what have you, the message they were saying is they had an opportunity to change history that could have saved millions of lives, but they just didn't have the courage to do it. And the message they were sending me was, uh, have balls, basically. <laughs> and I had a very tough situation in my life. Uh, actually, it was a very bad breakup I was going through. And I went to see my hypnotherapist because I wanted a Joel to help me get through that. And it turned out to be a combination of dealing with that and dealing with that recurring appearance and both the pain and trauma of my breakup and those apparitional appearances stopped after one session. Turned out they were connected. There are so many things that are connected. And I'm very sorry to hear that you've had pain and trauma in your life. And well, we all have. We all have, yeah. And it's something that's so important. And whether it's healing from pain and trauma and growing from the experiences that we've had, or whether it's nurturing the really good things that are in us that just haven't been given enough attention, that's ultimately what investing in you is all about. Because otherwise, we end up making decisions for the things that are either really painful in us or the things that we don't really know are who we are that need a little bit more kindling. Yeah. And I'm of the belief that you need to make these types of investments in yourself before you can invest your money, because these types of self-awareness issues will influence what you do with your money. Very much as well as your decisions. You know, again, with investing in yourself, it's one thing to celebrate getting a job after school. That's, that's great. Yeah. But what if you're in a job that you're not happy with? Uh-huh. What if you're not fulfilled? What if you're not being challenged? What if you're not growing? Uh -huh. so that might be not a big deal for a short period of time, but six months, 12 months, 10 years, 20 years, we so often talk about the compounding benefits of investing and having that money grow over time. 
What we don't talk about is the compounding impact of not being true to who we are. And we see that, especially in the States. We see high levels of anxiety. We see disengagement at work. We see levels of unhappiness decreasing. We see relationships that are not necessarily where they could be. We see people making decisions that are not necessarily about who they are. And all of us have done it. So there is a financial benefit to investing in yourself so that your decisions moving forward are better aligned with who you are. It's never going to be perfect. Perfect's to me, not something that we can really aim for. It's really about progress. Yeah. I, as I like to say, uh, for anybody who's in pursuit of perfection, you're really never going to find it. I, my personal thought is the if you are engaging in consistent practice where you're seeking out and getting for yourself more of what you need and want and less of what you don't need and don't want, you're headed in the correct direction. Also allowing for the fluidity of the circle of life to have the needs and wants change over time. Exactly. All right. So now that we've laid that piece of it down... Here's where you begin to shock us, Catherine. <laughs> Bring we've it all on. been to- we've all been told budget, 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 cash flow plan, and all that. So why don't you believe in budgets? Well, it's Ooh. not that I don't completely believe in budgets, but to me, budgets are almost exactly the same thing as diets, and it's just one of these things that you know, picking the right diet for a period of time or fitting yourself into a budget does not necessarily mean that that's what your day in and day out life practice is all about. Yeah. What we believe very much in is the importance that comes with having clarity around your spending and actively choosing how you spend your money. Now, big disclaimer, I do recognize that Each person, perhaps those who are listening right now, are going to have different financial circumstances. And there are going to be times where it doesn't necessarily feel like there is a lot of choice in our spending. But what I'm sharing about is more big picture in terms of how we're looking at money. And to recognize that so many people do have choice with how they spend their money and that part of their financial complexities are because of the choices that they are subconsciously making. So, for example... If some person were to say to me, how much should I be spending on travel? Or how much should I be spending on food? Or how much should I be spending on clothes? Well, the answer is going to be different depending on who that person is. Not just based on their financial circumstances, but also what does that person value? I'm a big believer that we, assuming that we have the resources to do it, that we should be spending on the things that bring us fulfillment. If things are not bringing us fulfillment, then there's no reason that we should be spending money in that area unless it's a necessity, such as turning on, for example, the light so that we can see things when it's dark outside. So that's really key. What often happens is that spending is aligned with what the world around us, what our families, what the various community centers are telling us where our money should be going. You are a certain age, so this is how you should be living. This is how you should be spending. Or you reached a certain income level, so now you're supposed to have a life that looks like this. Or you're a certain 
place in terms of life within a marriage or relationship or family. This is now how you should be spending your money. And there is so much judgment when we're not spending money the way that the world around us is spending it. But yet so many people are not really truly happy with their life. So budgets, I do believe that budgets are important for things like projects. But the bigger thing is really the clarity around where are you spending your money and aligning your spending with what you value. Yeah. One of the cliches of discussion groups in the online marketing space is how many people come into the group and say, uh, what's the best email marketing provider to use to build my list? Interesting. Well, how, how, uh, tell, tell me, tell me what you think your criteria are and I'll, I'll sign up as an affiliate for the one I think will work best for you and give you my link. I mean, right. <laughs> okay. What, whatever, uh, that, but, but what, but what, what is that really, what are you look really looking to address? Uh, how, how does that impact growing your business? I, I have clients that, uh, in my consulting business that use one shopping cart. I have clients that use uh, active campaign. I myself am an active campaign user. I uh, have clients that use Infusionsoft, now known as Keep. I mean, and a few others that are out there. I think there's an Aweber and, uh, and a MailChimp and a couple others. I, I don't really get my hands on this stuff like I used to, uh, but I know that they use all these different systems. And they're all using the right system. It's also like I went for a, a job interview not long out of college, and through my networking skills, I got an interview with this uh, this trucking company that, uh, you know, I, I thought the people were really nice. Um, I decided the opportunity just wasn't for me, but I do remember I met with the owner of this company, and I remember something he said that is stuck in my mind for the past 29 years. I actually wish, or actually 19 years, I'm not that old. I, um, I uh, wish I could remember his name. So I guess you could go back and thank him for this because it's been so inspirational to me. He said, he said, young man, I'm, you know, I'm looking at your interview here and your, your, your resume here rather. And people come to me all the time and uh, they're worried about their educational experience. And, and you know, if uh, they're, they're going to, I'm going to pick them based on what college they went to. But the thing you need to know, whether you uh, choose to come work with us or whatever you choose to do in life, is whatever college you went to was the right one. Hmm. So when you have someone ask you that, what are you, what do you think is the way that gives the most value? Candidly, I think that, uh, I, or at least I thought back in those days when where I went to school, well, I'm, 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 I'm a Penn Stater, by the way, for my undergrad, and I went to Duquesne mm-hmm. for my MBA, uh, mm-hmm. both great schools. I seem to recall that in the majority, or at least the plurality of the cases, when people were asking me that question, they were trying to find out which football team I rooted for and use that as a basis for a hiring decision. And that very much is a big part, not necessarily just football, but that is a big part of why there's so many different discriminatory practices in hiring because often people want to hire someone that they can relate to and they're not necessarily hiring for the need of the job. Relatability is good. 
Uh, but, is good, but, but, yeah, but, uh, but you, you got to watch your criteria. And we've covered that on ep- other episodes of the business creators radio show. There's one in particular that was, we really got into this in depth when it came to hiring criteria and um, advancement of women in the workplace is one of our, one of our classics, one of our greatest hits, actually. Um, uh, if anybody's listening, wants to know which one it is, just uh, email us and I'll send you the link. But anyway, the point being is uh, subconsciously, all humans, and you're never going to convince me otherwise because I've disproven everybody who's ever claimed this, all humans have prejudices. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean racism, sexism, or anything like that, but by prejudice, it goes back to literally the meaning of the word, pre-Judas, justing in advance, or, or judging in advance. So you make decisions on people subconsciously because... Oh, he went to Penn State. Well, screw the Nittany Lions. I'm not hiring that joker. So they don't need, I, they're not they're not even thinking that consciously, but it's in the back of their mind that they're upset that, that Penn State beat Michigan that year or whatever, what have you. I'm just referring to one of the great rivalries. And they happen to be a Michigan fan, so they're just oh, Penn Stater? I lost twenty bucks on that game. I'm not hiring him. But they might not even be thinking that consciously. Correct. And those things can happen. Every single one of us have biases. In the financial services industry, one thing that I'm a big believer of is that we should not, or the consumer should not have the desire to find an advisor who says that they're objective. Because it's impossible for any of us to be completely objective. We all have biases, and it's important that we share the biases with the people that we care about, with the people that we work with, with the people that we are caring for, because those biases will 100% shape our decisions, how we create policy, and how we influence the people around us. It's also great to share our biases so that they can be challenged, and that's how we can learn. You know, one of the biases that every single person has is the story that they have around money. And those experiences that they've had as a child, as someone in their early adult years, very much can influence in one way or another how they think about money. So knowing what one's story is, that in itself, knowing what your story is, is understanding the bias that you personally had with money. And just by acknowledging it can empower you then to start making decisions that are about what's important to you and not just how you've been shaped. Yeah, abs- yeah, certainly. And going back to the first thing that we were covering about investing in yourself and the in the impact of in the impact of some of the influences we received just through life growing up, what have you. You know, I remember, you know, my upbringing was a combination of being told that I needed to be like rich people, marry a woman for her money. Yeah, these are messages I got. And th- wow. some of this came from within my own family, right? And, um, and one of the jokes that people loved to tell me, and I pretended like it was funny, was, uh, what? let me ask you, Catherine, and uh, you don't have to say the answer, but let's see if you know it. What's the difference between a porcupine and a BMW? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, um, it's my show, so I'm allowed to say this. The difference between a porcupine and a BMW is with a porcupine, the pricks are on the outside. I've never heard this before. Oh, bad jokes like that. 
And oh, the, the, you know, you think of oh, well, look at that 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 jerk in that BMW cut me off last week. Yeah, there's some truth to that, right? Well, it's planting the seed that being successful, gaining wealth, and being able to purchase a car that you enjoy, if you happen to enjoy a BMW, that's an option available to you, makes that somehow a bad person. Mm, interesting. And can impact your own willingness to become wealthy. Very much. There's messaging about all sorts of purchasing decisions, whether it's cars, homes, even how people give can be something that has been shaped by those around them as a child. Yeah. So now that we have a sense of, you know, budgeting and, you know, I think you're absolutely, I can tell one other quick story about that. Uh, I was on the board of a professional organization about 15 years ago and I was I had been involved in the organization at a very high level for a few years, and there was an abrupt resignation on the board of directors two year two months into that board's annual term, and I was nominated to re- replace the person who resigned, and I accepted the nomination. And I came in, and I recognized that the budget that they had come up with really had little to do with anything that... I would move forward with that organization. So what I what I did is I said, okay, well, I understand that the total budget allocation to my department is going to be this, but I'd like to rearrange the line items under it. So I went ahead and did that. And I presented that plan at the next board meeting. And the uh, and the treasurer just simply ignored it. Really? Actually ignored it like I had never said it. And started asking me questions about the budget with the previous line items on it. Now, the obvious answer was that I wasn't aware that we just needed to vote on that section of the budget again. But I found it very hilarious indeed that somebody had actually taken the time to break an $800 budget. We're not talking about millions here. An $800 annual budget and broken it down to what we're going to spend $12 on here and $19 on here and stuff like that. Because at the beginning of a one-year term, candidly, how the hell do you know? It, it's tough. I mean, one thing that I've learned by being on boards is that often the first year, year and a half, there is so much listening that just needs to happen in order to create a lot of positive impact. Yeah. Because it's not just about looking at what's in black and white in terms of the financials or policies that are in place and where the opportunities are. It's also understanding the dynamics of the people who are on the board, as well as the people that the board reports to. Yeah. And understanding how to navigate that so that the impact can actually be experienced in a really positive way. I understand. Um, and I was in that position on the board for three years. And I can tell you that, uh, and, and then I became president of the organization for a term. Uh, I can tell Sounds you like that you were pretty active. Well, yeah. Yeah. And by the time I was, uh, they, they came to me to be president. I had already decided that I was moving into another business and didn't want to do it. And this became one of those, um, like that scene from the Godfather part three, where Michael Corleone says, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That's kind of yeah. what it felt like. But to well, my point, to my point, when I when I got elected to my own term for that VP position, and they came to me asking me what I wanted for the budget, I said I want sixteen hundred dollars. And uh, I was uh, I was the vice president of 
communications and marketing. There had actually been two VP positions, one for communications and one for marketing. But we, had, but we, during my first, uh, you know, you know, replacement term, we actually adjusted the bylaw so they became one VP position so I could handle both because at that point they were functionally pretty much merged. And I said, I need $1,600 because I was taking both the marketing budget and the communications budget from the previous year, which added up to $1,400 and adding 200. And I, and I, and they asked me what I wanted for. I said, I want it for marketing communication stuff we're going to go out and we're going to go out and find the opportunities to use this to get members and grow our organization's profile in our local professional community and get us exposure with the national. I don't know what I'm going to spend that on. Actually, you know what? Let's make it 2000, 2000 is my allocation. So after a bunch of negotiation, the actual number came in something like some weird number, like 1575. Somehow there was a quibble over 25 bucks, but conveniently or whatever, I never did have to line item it. So the budget for that following year didn't show any line items. So how did you spend it? I can't remember, but we actually didn't even spend it all. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So that just goes back to my belief in how budgeting is an imprecise science. I mean, you can start with a reasonable allocation. And then again, we also teach in sales and marketing conversion that – Budgets can be the enemy of progress in some cases, especially when it comes to the point where you're on the on the closing call with the prospect, and then you say the dollar amount, and then you shut up. Any number, on, yeah. any number you said has a ninety five percent chance, and this is actually told to me by somebody, has a ninety five percent chance of not being anywhere in any budget that anybody ever created. Well, I think the the thing that's really key about whether it's a pitch like you're talking about that you're making to an organization or whether you're looking at a budget, the only way that there is going to be meaningful decisions that come from a budget or a pitch is that there is an alignment with value. If you're making a pitch and that dollar figure for whatever your value is that you're bringing to an organization has not been felt or recognized, then any dollar amount that you say is going to be not fitting in. But if you can recognize where the needs are and be able to show how you can create value so that that problem goes away and that there can be, whether it be a level of profitability, impact, whatever, that's going to go far. The problem is we also don't think about this. One, we don't think about it really in business that often or enough at least, but we don't think about this in our day-to-day lives. And the majority of budgets are set up to be extremely, extremely sterile in terms of not having any type of personal influence of who that person is. There aren't line items in most people's budgets that I've seen that have something to do with investing in you or exploring interests that you have or saving for things that are coming up in five years that you can't even think about is often around pretty basic things transportation, home, utilities, savings, as in for retirement risk in terms of insurance. Those are just, they're only the beginning of something. And that clarity for what each person needs is really where there needs to be a little bit more attention. Right. Yeah. So I think what we're coming to here uh, is that there is actually kind of a balance here. So it's, it's great to say, uh, you don't believe in budgets and that's an opener for a conversation about what does a budget really mean is what I'm getting out of this. 
what does the budget really mean and how is it going to be used? If right. it's going to be used like a diet where it's, okay, we're going to do this for two weeks or a month or six months, and all of a sudden we're going to be on track, and all of a sudden six months goes by and everything's worked, but then it starts blowing up three months later because that budget is not sustainable. Well, the whole exercise was not helpful. Yeah. It potentially created more stress because of various behaviors that weren't aligned with who that person is. Now, again, I am all for making sure that we have clarity around expenses. I am all for reining it in in terms of our expenses when there are not the resources that are available to provide for the things that we perhaps might want. But at the end of the day, a lot of times I see people just try to get onto a budget or go onto a diet to fix a really big problem. And what I think is more important actually is to take those smaller baby steps to understand, okay, what is the purpose of this? What is the end result? What is important to me at this moment? Why am I wanting to do, whether it's a budget or a diet, so that the actions that are taken are aligned with what the actual goal and purpose of the whole plan is. Yeah. And yeah, I, Hey, I've seen diets come and go like, uh, we all have. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like I'll, I'll pick on the one that's obvious and I'm not, I, and actually I think picking on is a bad term because a lot of people have actually succeeded with it, but you do, you do remember some of the cases or at least some of our listeners may remember some of the cases of people who jumped on the Atkins back, mm-hmm. the Atkins diet bandwagon without really understanding the process just so we just have to cut all carbs and no more bread. And then what ultimately happened with some of those people, including somebody I know personally who just went full dive in the Atkins is they got to the point where they went to a grocery store at two o'clock in the morning. They found a 24 hour grocery store, at two o'clock in the morning, bought two loaves of bread, came directly home and proceeded to eat both of those loaves whole because they were that carb starved. And I don't have an expertise to be able to deep dive about any one particular diet. Neither do so, I. I'm just, I'm just using yeah. it as an example of what happens when you, when you budget or you make allocations right. without, without thought. Um, and, uh, and, you know, another, you know, like, like the other thing is people ask me, cause I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm vegan myself. They ask, well, how, how, do, how do you do that? How do you, how did you, yeah, I remember you used to love those uh, those those burgers from TGI Fridays, and we used to go out for ribs. How do you, don't you miss that? And, I, and what I I explained it to him very simply. I said, "Well, I made the conscious decision to move towards vegetarianism, and I worked with a diet coach who specialized in that transition, and we made the plan to transition it over seven weeks, even though." The motivational factor for me making the change was, and I think people know what I mean by this when I say I saw the films, Mm -hmm. I also knew that if I just abruptly cut my body off from those forms of nutrition, that I would have have a very adverse reaction that would not only make me sick, but would also uh, cause me a lot of emotional pain because it would be like an addiction fighting my values, basically, is what it would turn into. So... uh, 
I and during those seven weeks, the idea is we started with uh, we started with okay, we'll play with the meatless Monday thing, and then the next week we'll do two weeks of the vegetarian kitty stuff and five weeks of the carnivore stuff. Then three, four, four, three, you get the picture. Yeah. Uh, I only needed five weeks to make the transition, and the way I did it was actually very simple. I didn't have a requiem mass for my final cheeseburger. So I wasn't saying, all right, this is the last one before, uh, before I uh, set this aside and I go for the rabbit food. It wasn't anything like that. I focused on the exciting adventure of discovering how to prepare vegetarian meals. That's amazing and really powerful. So I wasn't even thinking about the, the last uh, rack of ribs or the final bacon burger or anything like that, or even the final, uh, you know, you know, hearty American breakfast, as they like to call it. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about things like my vegetable fried rice recipe that I invented myself. I uh, discovered Fancy. all these interesting things you could do with wontons. Uh, uh, I experimented with using Saitan to make ribs and decided I didn't like it. So, yeah whatever and, and uh, the key is that you experimented you know, exactly whether you're cooking or whether you're spending whatever we got to experience we got to experiment like that's the only way we're going to figure out what works for us you know for me i at this point have not been drinking coke zero for almost a year and a half and that may not necessarily seem like a big deal to many people but for me it was it was an addiction and it was something that i used when i was stressed and for me, I did have to treat it as something like this is not something that I could ever have again because it was just a trigger. Not that it's necessarily the worst thing in the world, but for me, it was very important not to be drinking that because I was so clean in how I ate with everything else. Yeah. And my point being in that how we each move forward in our path aligned with what's important to us is going to be different. And I did try, for example, doing more of an elimination style where I had less Coke zeros per week, minimizing it as I went along. But for me, I ended up having to go just completely clean turkey. And that's, ended up, that's what ended up working for people with spending. It might be that they have triggers with certain types of transactions. We are advocates of individuals doing expense shreds not for yeah. purposes of stopping all spending. They're, the necessities are still given attention. But for people to become aware of some of the habits, especially because it's so easy to buy things with our phone, we don't even need to use our phones. Like It's one of these <laughs> where we just have ongoing transactions for subscriptions, whether it's yes. something like Stitch Fix or wine being delivered to our home or flowers or whatever. We don't even have a relationship with how much money we're spending because we're not having to actually hand it over. Well, um, and you know, that's, and this is uh, what, this is actually the converse of your exact thing right there. And after this, we're going to move on because I know we have a couple other things to cover in our 20 minutes left here. Uh, the, uh, this is why I counseled my clients who use one shopping cart. Cause for years, one of the issues with one shopping cart, the, uh, the e-commerce platform was it didn't really integrate well with PayPal when you want to do recurring payments. Mm-hmm. And I, and when, as soon as they actually worked it out in a way where you didn't have to have like the $300 a month version of PayPal just to make it work, I had them all add PayPal as a payment option. Some of them were resistant because, and this was actually the most common reason given, well, I like to keep a zero balance in my PayPal, and then I get money in there, and then I have to move it. 
Well, the psychological reason why you want to have PayPal as an option is because PayPal doesn't look like a credit card statement and it doesn't look like cash. Right. So there's not the same emotional attachment to zipping through something through PayPal. When I have to renew my 123RF account and I have to buy more credits so I can download more royalty-free images for my blog, featured images, I don't think about, well, I don't know. It's, it's going to be 40 credits for $39. Should I just get that or so right. okay um uh i already have the order form preset using my member my my user configuration that that's my default selection i just click 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 paypal yes click click okay now i'll go download that image that's great i don't think i don't think about 39 dollars. and if right. i'm and if i'm on one of those tears where i'm preloading 25 pieces of content at a time and i have to do two renewals i don't think about it 100 bucks but i don't think about it and some things we don't have to think about, but yeah. a lot of things we do need to think about. And that the point is more just to make sure that the things that need attention are getting attention and the things that we need as conveniences that we are setting up in a way that makes sense personally as well as financially. Absolutely. So we've uh, taken an interesting segue into looking into the hearts, souls, and minds of our listeners here. Uh, so there's two other topics we wanted to cover in our time. So let's get into those. First of all, consequences of making retirement the focal point of your financial plan. We've been taught to do that. Is that the way to go? So it is going to depend on each person. But I, what I would suggest is that if we are only making retirement, the focus of our financial plan, there's a lot of things that are not getting attention. And if those things are not getting attention, I would also suggest that our retirement plan is actually not going to be as aligned or potentially fulfilling as it could have been. Yeah. Right. So, you know, as I, as I see it, retirement is like chasing a chasing something that we haven't even defined yet. How do we know that we're going to want to retire? How do we know that we're going to be able to work as long as we need to, according to some retirement plan or just well, do things that come up for me? Yeah. And retirement is such a loaded word because we're told from the time that we're kids, this is when retirement's supposed to happen. This is what retirement looks like. These are the people who are smiling while they're golfing, sailing, having grandkids around them, whatever that is. And it's just changing so much. Oh, sailing, golfing. Uh, See, and I, and I made that expression just to make the point that not everybody's into sailing and golfing. Right. I I like sailing when I'm on dry land and I like, and I like (laughs) golfing when I'm in the clubhouse. Well, there's something something about, there's something about sitting on a boat, not being able to just get up and move whenever I feel like it, that doesn't work for me. And there's something about, uh, walking around, uh, some grassy field at seven 15 in the morning, hitting a little ball around. It just is never going to work for me. See. And so clearly the images that you've probably seen of retirees golfing and sailing just don't work for you. But yet those are some pretty significant and consistent images that we see around what retirement is supposed to be. What we don't often see is people who are working because they're choosing to work because their brains are continuing to be nourished and that they are having impact in whatever way that they're having. That's not to say that that's for everyone, but it's just, we have a very, very simple view of what retirement is. And with that simple definition of what retirement is, we've created this massive expectation of how, we are supposed to fund that and right. do so in a way where we are delaying 
gratification, where we're delaying fulfillment, where we're delaying the things that we can actually be experiencing right. in our life if we focus more on alignment and financial independence. To me, it's really about financial independence. Yeah. Making sure that you are planning for tomorrow, but also making sure that you're planning for today. Yeah, I can tell you very briefly. Um, when I was um, when I was in my uh, early to mid twenties, that's when I went for my MBA, and I also held on a full time job with a major healthcare organization. Where wow. I ended up working for about four and a half years, both during the MBA and then afterwards, while I uh, made the decision that I was going to become an entrepreneur, and I spent two years in side hustle mode. While I was there at that company, they had actually a very generous matching plan for okay. investments in their, in their retirement options they offered to their employees, I maxed the hell out of it. The reason okay. being is I knew that I was going to be making this jump at some point in the relatively near future, and there might be a period of time where I just didn't have any money to invest in retirement. So I knew that I could walk away from it for a while if I needed to, knowing at least I had a little head start that would be accumulating a little bit as I went along. And, uh, about 10, 15 years passed, and uh, and I still make minimum contributions. I'm actually way behind right now, and I've been candid about this. Mm-hmm. So my plan is in five years, I'll be caught up. And it's, not be, and it's not because I'm going to start cutting back on household expenses, uh, being minimalist, there aren't that many to begin with, but it's because I'm going to focus on raising so much revenue that I'll just, uh, I'll just take care of it. And I'm using as my model a client of mine who did not even start thinking about retirement savings until he was the same age I am, which is 42. He's, 60, he's 64 now. Um, he owns two houses. He travels around the world. He ne- and, and he loves what he does in business. In fact, he's recently started a new business venture, which is going very well for him. Um, he keeps leaning back to his actuarial study that shows that as long as he continues to exercise and live right, he'll live to be 94 years old. He doesn't believe he'll ever retire, but he knows he's in a position where he can enjoy life and he never has to do anything in his business that he's not passionate about. That's fantastic. That's and that, actually, that actually makes him more effective in business because he doesn't have to follow fads if he doesn't find that they align with his values. He doesn't have to do things just because someone said, well, you're in business, so you should also be building websites for your clients or something like that. He doesn't have to do it. And I've actually, and over the years, I've recommended he do things. He's taken up on some of my recommendations, and I'm happy to say most of them even surprised him with how successful they were. But I can count even more conversations where he said, "Yeah, thanks for the advice, but I just don't feel like it." That's well, and it is great. It's great to be in that position, and to me, that's a goal worth aspiring to. I, I, he doesn't see himself, you know, lounging around golfing and sailing. He sees himself continuing to do road trips with his wife for the rest of his life while uh, while making money every single day. And that sounds like he's completely invigorated with life, which is awesome. And what oh, yeah. I would also say, just because there's a lot of people probably listening, that that that's great that it worked out for him. Oh yeah, yeah. I I saw him. I saw him a month ago. As I said, the guy's sixty four years old. And uh, you, if if I didn't know he was sixty four years old, I would think he was forty six. Just the way he looks and the way he moves and the energy he gives off. That's awesome. So whether that's for you, whether that's for someone else, in terms of their planning and focusing on the future at a little stage later in life, I will say that there is a huge power of saving and having that grow over time. That is really, really key. My big message is really that the focus can't just be on the long term because there's a lot of life that happens and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
Yeah. And that's something that there are absolutely measures that can be put in place to provide that flexibility. Yeah. So as we lead to our final point here, I'll tell you one other true confession is that, um, you know, uh, after I became an adult and uh, especially after I moved out of my parents' house, cause I stayed there while I was in MBA school and working on Got creating it. this business. Um, and uh, I'm very appreciative to my parents for being generous cause they recognized the reason I was doing it is so that I could focus on getting my business up and off the ground without having to, without, so instead of paying rent, I would use that for reinvestment in the business. I wasn't really around much anyway. When I was home, I was mostly upstairs. So it was like, I was barely even there. And, uh, I found that, you know, as soon as I, as soon as I went full time with the business, my plan was that's when I was going to move out. And I figured out within 30 days, I had to get the hell out of there. So I had my apartment and all was well, I'll go visit my parents every week and I would get to their place and I would find out that they did grocery shopping for me. And there were seven bags of of, uh, groceries waiting for me. And I found it, I found it annoying, condescending and candidly rude. Uh, Hmm. The only way I could convey to them there were two ways I needed to convey them that I was actually financially independent. Uh, one of which was, is I wouldn't even thank them for the effort. I would just say, huh, that's nice. Now you have seven bags of groceries for yourself. And the other thing that I did just to demonstrate that I had money that I could, I could support myself was I bought them a brand new state of the art computer for Christmas that year. That was very generous. After, after that, all the grocery runs and all the, and all the, well, we want to just sort of help out because we know you're struggling. All that stuff abruptly ended. And at that point, I could have a conversation with them along the lines of, I don't really need money from you. I don't need charity. I'm totally happy to take care of this myself. I know you want to help. So let's just agree that if you're thinking randomly that I might need something, I don't. But if I do need something, I will be fearless and bold in asking you for it. So when I so fast forward several years, and I needed I need a, a loan to um, to uh, fund a, a launch of a business venture I was working on. I had no problem picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, could you send me three thousand dollars today?" Well, communication is yeah. a very and they sent it and they sent it and they were happy to. That's wonderful, and that's a resource that it sounds like you have been gifted, which is wonderful. Not necessarily everyone has, but the communication element, especially in families and in business is so key, especially because there are going to be assumptions that are made, especially when someone is given support, whether it be financially or emotionally over an extended period. And if we don't know how to effectively communicate that we're good or whatever the case is, it can really create some stresses that could otherwise be prevented. Yeah. So the reason I brought that up, that was not to pat myself on the back and I'll be candid that I have nothing but boundless gratitude for my parents as people and who they are. And they've had a very big positive role in helping me become the man and businessman that I am. That being said, you have told me that there can be cases where gifting to your children and my parents do gift me every year for tax purposes. I will say that they do. And I'm grateful for it. Uh, why does gifting to your children potentially prevent them from becoming financially independent? So gifting is a wonderful tool that can very much help people, but it's also one that often adult children become dependent on. And we believe, I believe that adversity can be some of the best places to find growth financially and personally. And 
when as parents we don't let our kids struggle often they are not necessarily seeing the picture with as much clarity as they could have otherwise seen so that's one very big reason and i see this happen all the time the other piece is that that dependency if the parent passes away if they don't have enough assets and insurance to be able to support that level of gifting until their adult child passes away and that child is dependent on them, then that can create a massive problem for that adult child as they are then navigating through life without their parent support. And I'm not just talking about the financial stresses, but the decision-making tools that could have been given to them at an earlier stage if their parents had afforded them the opportunity to struggle. Now, I'm not saying that gifting shouldn't happen. I'm not saying that parents can't be generous with their children. What I am saying is that each situation is definitely unique and that often when parents are not wanting to allow their child to struggle and grow, that they're often taking away an opportunity for that child to actually be who they are. I, yeah, you know, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. I, I think there was a piece of me in that situation I described that was actually enjoying that there was a bit of a struggle for me in some ways, because I was also getting to enjoy the happiness that arose from mastering that. And that's, that makes that's sense. Great. Right. Yeah. And uh, this is not what I'm sharing is not specific about your situation. Of course. It's one where when we're taking a look at a lot of gifting situations with parents and adult children, it's a really great setup. Right. I am a big believer in having loans because it's something that when we're looking at whether it's a business venture or whether it's a decision to do something with a home or something else, that that can be something that has a little skin in the game. Is this something yeah. that that's that important to you? But again, it really depends. And sometimes a loan doesn't make sense and a gift does make more sense. Right. And again, I'm all for people sharing in the abundance of things that they have. But I do see that in that sharing, often it's motivated from more of a place of fear. Yeah. And that place of fear in terms of their child not having as nice of an experience or as nice of a home or that they don't want their kid to struggle. Well, why don't, I, why don't you want your kid to struggle? And often it's because they mm-hmm. had a struggle, but often that struggle is what allow them to be where they are today. So yeah. we're not wanting to create trauma for people. Exactly. And I think sometimes there are also perceptions of what struggle is. Like I've shared famously many times, I live in a very simple two-bedroom apartment. I, I don't have any mansion dreams. You know why? Because I don't want to deal with it. And that's, I, I, that's I, I, I like that my I like that my home is low maintenance, and I like that I have more cash for experiences. It doesn't make me poor. In fact, I actually think it's a function of wealth because it allows me to get more out of life because I'm not uh, I'm not having like a big piece of my income chopped off on a mortgage payment. And they can say, "Well, you're paying rent, and you're not getting anything." I'll tell you what, I'm getting with my rent. I'm getting no maintenance. Something breaks, they fix it. And that's, and that's, and that's more and that's more important to me. And that's great at this point. There's pros and cons to both sides yeah. of renting and owning. So there are. that those are all things that need to be weighed on an individual basis. Yeah. But there yeah. are certain things to consider for both. 
more of what you need, more of what you need and want, less of what you don't need and don't want, openness to flexibility that that may change. I mean, we could, uh, you could come back in three years on this show and I may be telling you how I just bought a mansion. It could be. It because, could be. Because that's that, also because the beauty. That, we can change. Yeah. Because at that point, I might, have, I might have had a change in my life that makes owning a house make more sense to me at that time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I think we've, um, I think what we've done here today, Catherine, is we've given our listeners a number of starting points for their thought process in investing. And we didn't get much into, you know, financial management metrics or anything like that, but I don't think that was really the point of it either. It was getting people to understand sort of a mindset about what to do with the money. And that impacts business creators because businesses have profits. Uh, Business creators uh, make more money than they spend and they need to be, you know, intelligent about how to do that in a way that gets them more of what they need and want and less of what they don't need and want. So with that, uh, we may have some listeners who are leaning in right now wanting to take it a bit further with you. We have two minutes left here. I'm going to give one of them to you. What do they do? Cool. Well, I would welcome all of your listeners to check out our website, concentricpw.com. Yeah. That's where you can learn a lot more about our planning and investment philosophies. I'd also welcome any of your listeners to follow me, especially on LinkedIn. I have a Financial Fitness Friday video that goes up every single Friday, typically somewhere between a minute and a half to three minutes. And it just provides a planning tip that is going to be aligned with more of the behavioral advice focus that we have and is really comprehensive to help people reflect and think about what they're doing and hopefully inspire some individual action. Yeah, I, and I and I love your and I love your approach to that as well because it uh, it gives people the opportunity to digest it at their own rate and to allow themselves to evolve their thinking as their needs and wants evolve, themselves evolve. Exactly. All right, so this has been fantastic, Catherine Liola of ConcentricPW.com, our amazing guest on the power of investing in you. Thank you very much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Adam, thank you so much for having me. It was great being part of your community. All right. For our listeners, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.